Hey everyone and welcome to Enabling Digital with Systems Plus, a podcast series. Uh, I'm super excited today to welcome Doug Laney, author of Infonomics and uh, currently an innovation fellow at West Monroe. Doug, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Amai, and, and thanks to, uh, to Systems Plus for hosting this uh, excellent podcast series. All right, so Doug, before we get started, it would be great if you we could understand more about why Infonomics, what led you to write that book and um, <laughs> your background overall? Um, yeah, so so my background is I'm, I'm an innovation fellow with uh, West Monroe's data engineering and analytics uh, practice. And uh, it, in my role, I help to develop new offerings around um, using data in innovative ways, um, monetizing data, valuing data, uh, the kinds of things I think we'll, we'll talk about t- today. Um, a lot of this dates back to my days at Gartner. I was a longtime Gartner analyst. And while I was there, I started researching the concept of data as an actual asset and what that means or could mean to organizations and how we could be applying the things that we've learned about, about um, leveraging and managing other kinds of assets and, and how that could be applied to, to data. So in my role at West Monroe, I'm helping clients uh, identify new and innovative ways to generate value from their data assets beyond just building, you know, pretty pie charts and <laughs> dashing dashboards um, <clears throat> and, and then how they can manage their data better to, to, to enable that. Um, I started my career with, uh, with Accenture um, uh, back when it was uh, Anderson Consulting and have spent some time with some of the early uh, AI software companies. But most of my career has been with, with uh, I guess the bulk of my career has been with Gartner, where I was a senior analyst and, and helped uh, establish the chief data officer research advisory uh, practice there. Awesome. And so yeah. you you mentioned data being an asset, and, I, and I've heard your explanation mm-hmm. of this on other podcasts, and I, and I feel mm-hmm. we need to kind of explain that again. Why do you believe data is fundamentally an asset? And mm-hmm. um, yeah, let's start mm-hmm. with that, actually. Yeah, I guess not to be you know entirely pedantic about it, but um, the definition of an asset you know is something that is uh, has three or four parts to it. One is that it's owned and or controlled by an entity. Uh, two is that it's exchangeable for cash, uh, and three is that it generates what accountants call probable future economic benefits that accrue to the entity that owns or controls it. The fourth one um, that's often thrown in also is that it's separable from other assets. And so I think it's perfectly clear that data meets, there's just no argument that data meets those criteria. Um, And um, I guess it's just unfortunate that due to antiquated and arcane accounting practices, the, the accounting profession hasn't come around to acknowledging data as an asset. Neither has the insurance industry really come around to acknowledging data as property. Sure, you can get uh, cyber insurance, but you you can't get insurance based on the value of the data asset itself. Um, so the basically the keepers of the definition of um, what constitutes an asset and what constitutes property, um, I guess more recently have even doubled down on their antiquated notions that it's, it's neither. But um, I think I would argue that it clearly meets the criteria and therefore should be treated like one, irrespective of what the accounting profession says. Absolutely. And I, I've heard this definition before. And, you know, yeah. I, I think you, you hit the point, uh, you hit the hammer on the nail. Um, data should be treated as an asset. But 
even if an organization now wants to start doing that, like how how would they even start? Right? Where where would they start as an organization to say, hey, I want to treat data as an asset. Um, yeah. I think it's important. What do I do next? I think a lot of it starts with a couple of things. One is measuring it. Um, um, and we'll talk a little bit about various ways to measure data, but understanding what you have is, I guess, a, a prerequisite to even measuring it. So a lot of companies don't know what data they have. They don't have uh, an accurate or um, ongoing inventory of their data assets. And I think job one in treating anything as an asset is establishing an inventory of, of what you have, um, what it means, its lineage, um, all sorts of you know, metadata around that, that asset, whether it's data or any other kind of asset. So I think the, the first job is to understand what you have. The second is to measure its, uh, its characteristics and, and contribution to value and cost basis. Um, yeah. All right. And um, so let's say I've cataloged my data, I've began to measure it. Um, I understand what data I have in my company, where it lies. Uh, how do I effectively use that data to then monetize it? Yeah, well, I, I think um, kind of, and I want to finish off maybe a, a thought, thought on that last question, which is, you know, a lot of companies, companies are already uh, have well-honed asset management principles and practices that align to their own core products and services. So if you're a physical asset management company, perhaps you're following PAS 55 or the, the related ISO standard for managing your physical assets. If you're a financial asset uh, kind of company, you're probably following some standards and how to and procedures on how to manage those financial assets. And if you're a services company, you probably are following some best practices and, and even um, some ISO standards on, on how to manage your, your human capital. And so I think that uh, it makes sense to apply those kinds of concepts and, and principles and even practices to the way that you're managing data. <clears throat> and, and a reason to do that not only is to manage your data better, but if you're a physical asset management company and you're applying PAS 55 to the way that you're managing your physical assets, then you start as a data organization speaking the language of the business in um, managing your data assets. And it's a way for data um, organizations to become closer to and uh, collaborate better with, uh, with, the, with the business. Um, so uh, I, I just wanted to kind of fill in, in the gap there. Uh, let's move on to your next question. What, can you repeat that again? Yeah. So, and also thank you for that. Um, I, yeah. you know, I think drawing the parallel of data as an asset to, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's from manufacturing to equipment, um, even to a, within our own companies, to whether right. it's sort of right. IT hardware, right? We, we have a lot of processes and governance around those, but I feel yeah. it fundamentally lacks with, when it comes to data, the amount of mm -hmm. governance that we have. Um, right. and so the next question was, okay, if I am actually truly able to establish better governance with my data, I really treat right. it fundamentally as an asset. Um, part of your thesis is that can also help to better monetization. And, you know, I'd just like to understand how uh, we can right. leverage that once we once we sort of track data better. Yeah, as I started thinking about, and, and I was writing the Infonomics book that you mentioned, thank you, on how to manage and measure and monetize data as an actual asset. So I started thinking about initially measuring data as an asset because the, the background on the concept of infonomics dates back to the 9-11 terror attacks when um, while i was at gartner some clients started contacting us uh, lamenting not only the the tragic loss of life but also the loss of their data 
And so they asked us to help value that data so they could submit claims to their insurers for the value of the data they lost. Um, and it turns out that the, the insurers denied those claims, suggesting that data didn't constitute property and therefore wasn't covered by their property and casualty policies. So that kind of got my attention and got my, my ire up. <laughs> and so I started thinking about, you know, why, are, why, why don't companies measure the value of their data? And I learned quickly that, you know, uh, the accounting practices don't uh, consider data an asset. And in fact, after 9-11, the accounting profession updated key financial standards to prohibit the capitalization of data on balance sheets, uh, the recognition of data. And um, they, they made that change uh, a month after, uh, you know, nine, uh, actually the accounting profession did it a couple of years after 9-11. The insurance practice updated a key standard prohibiting um, or excluding data from property and casualty policies. They, they did that a month after 9-11. So all that kind of got my attention. And, um, and I started thinking about, you know, irrespective of what the accounting profession and the insurance industry say, organizations should be managing their treating data as an actual asset. And so that encompasses really three main things, managing it, measuring it, and monetizing it like, like one. And the way this all fits together is, uh, I, I think there's, you know, you remember the old adage, you can't manage what you don't measure, or you can't manage well what you don't measure well. And I think that holds for, for data and information as well, that um, the companies that don't understand what data they have or measure its cost basis or its contribution to income or its uh, its quality indicators are really in a poor position to get the resources and budgets and support um, needed to manage data as, as an asset. And then I think it follows that any asset that you're not um, managing as an actual asset uh, is one that you're not going to be able to monetize fully or optimally. And by monetize, we mean generating measurable economic benefits from. So for many organizations, this is a vicious cycle of not measuring, therefore not managing, and therefore not monetizing their data as well as they could or should. And the idea behind Infonomics and the work that we're doing at West Monroe is to help organizations kind of reverse that that curse, as, as we say. Awesome. And so, so yeah. you know, talking about, about how companies sort of manage uh, and measure data and, and getting a little deeper into that. Now, Thinking of data as an asset, I'm trying to think this, you know, take it to the to the complete extent to which you mentioned. I, I think we work a lot with sort of the IT departments in various companies. And and there, if you think of traditional IT, you've got your laptops and your hardware yeah. as assets fundamentally. And and we've got departments literally that are built to set up the asset, track the asset, mm -hmm. if somebody leaves the company, call it back, all of those things. So now moving to data and treating data as an asset, what I guess, what is the version of that IT department or what is the type of organization structure that you need um, mm -hmm. to sort of really get track and measure and manage data effectively? Um, so I, I've been long have, have been an advocate of bifurcating the IT organization into separate I and T organizations to manage technology and, and information or data separately. Um, there was a time, you know, back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, maybe, where data and technology were inexorably um, connected and and, uh, and joined. But now today we see with the, the advent of, of cloud um, capabilities that and data warehouses and data lakes and so forth, that it's entirely possible to um, decouple data from technology 
um, at, at every level of, of the organization. And so it just doesn't make a lot of sense anymore to have uh, an, an IT organization. Um, and I think it's a, it makes more sense to have separate uh, organizations to manage each of those assets independently, but, but uh, of course, collaboratively. Um, so this has given rise to the um, the CDO role, the, the chief chief data officer role, or even chief data uh, and analytics officer role in the office of the the CDO, and so we help organizations set up those CDO offices, um, their operating models, and, and so forth, and help them separate from the IT organization. Um, so I, I think um, from a uh, you know organizational standpoint, another thing to to discuss, I suppose, is that that this organization needs really close alignment to the business. Ultimately, data is a business asset, not a technology asset, and should be managed by the business. So you mentioned data governance, and uh, governance should be perhaps stood up by the data organization, but really should be led by, um, and or at least heavily involved, um, heavily involved the, the, business, um, the business organization. So um, those are kind of some thoughts that I have on, on that topic. So that's super interesting, right? So in, in your mm -hmm. mind, are you envisioning that it's sort of like the there's a CDAO or a CDO type role mm -hmm. and parallel to that person is the CIO. It's not, and they're yeah. kind of working together under right. you know, maybe the CEO in, in, in the- in Or, or even, yeah, or even as we've seen with some organizations, uh, they've realized that the CIO role may be superfluous and what you need is a chief mm -hmm. technology officer and a chief data officer. So we've seen uh, companies like, uh, I, I can't name names, but a pharmaceutical company, a retailer, um, various government organizations that have taken that route and said, um, we really don't need a, a CDO, uh, I'm sorry, a CIO, but rather a chief technology officer and a chief data officer. So regardless, I think the CIO uh, and, and chief data officer should be peers. I don't think it, I think it's suboptimal when a chief data officer role reports to the CIO and even worse <laughs> when it reports to the chief technology officer. <laughs> yeah. And then if both end up reporting to the CFO, it, you know, it, that's when it gets even <clears throat> more interesting. Right. So yeah. when it comes to aligning yeah. with the business. Right. Um, and we've seen through some research that, that companies that maximize uh, the better optimize the value of their data assets typically have a chief data officer and not just a any chief data officer but uh, um no, no, but an actual uh, uh executive chief data officer with budgets and, and resources rather than um, what we call a cdo light which is someone who typically will report to the cio not really have budgets or um <clears throat> or their own resources or, or right. a lot of autonomy you know Right. So uh, you mentioned pharma, you mentioned retail, um, and you mentioned, you know, some people have seen success in, in, in these sort of models. Um, could you sort of elaborate on maybe which industries you've seen this trend working well in, and then maybe some success stories, of course, without naming any names, just how people yeah. have been able to, to make this happen? So certainly in, in retail, um, a lot of companies, grocers in particular, Kroger is a great example, actually spun off an entire, you know, data business. Um, so retail retailers have uh, have long been capturing data about their um, inventory, their uh, their sales, shopping basket data, and making that available to their suppliers, their CPG suppliers and, and manufacturers. Um, a, a great example of that is a company called Dollar General, 
that actually has a self-funding data warehouse or data lake where they make data available to their CPG uh, uh, um, providers, not necessarily for cash, but for discounts or other kinds of commercial considerations. And uh, I think this concept of having a self-funding data environment, data lake, data warehouse, whatever, whatever architecture you, you have, um, ought to be self-funding. And if it isn't self-funding, either one, you're not calculating uh, or measuring the impact that that data is having on the top and bottom line, or you, you haven't been creative enough with how you're leveraging that data or externalizing it. Um, so yeah, retailers have gotten pretty, pretty good at that. Um, in the healthcare space, we're definitely seeing pharmas and, and hospitals thinking about how to um, how to exchange their data with others uh, in the research space, in the academic space, uh, in the in the pharma space. Um, uh, even uh, investors are very interested in in healthcare related data, um, and doing so, of course, in a in a de-identified way, but. Um, we're finding a lot of uh, a lot of interest and a lot of success with organizations in the healthcare space, um, pharma, hospitals, et cetera, monetizing their their data. Yeah, um, yeah, and I can I can share some 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 stories if you like from um, my my more recent book. Um, the the book is called Data Juice, and I'll offer your listeners if any of your listeners would like um, copies of the book for their executive team uh, or management team, they should reach out to me and I can get you a deep discount on it and uh, sign copies and, and whatever you like. So um, definitely reach out to me. Um, so some stories from, from the book um, or actually some other stories that I have, I can't remember exactly. The, the book includes 101 examples of how organizations are leveraging data in or squeezing value from their, their data. That's why it's called data juice. <clears throat> and each of the stories is, uh, is, is a real world story a named organization. And each story is also accompanied by a commentary or analysis by one of a hundred uh, experts in the industry, CDs, uh, chief data officers, uh, CIOs, academics, uh, consultants, people that I know who you know, agreed to contribute to the book. So it's a, it's a really unique book um, that can be used to help inspire um, or shame <laughs> organizations into doing more with their, their, their data. Um, so some of the fun stories that I've compiled over the years, and I've actually compiled uh, some 700 um, or so stories at this point. Um, some of my favorites include uh, Lockheed Martin, you know, the the manufacturer of mostly you know, military equipment, planes, and, and so forth. Um, they heard me speak a number of years ago at an event where I was talking about the concept of dark data, data that's unused, unused or unutilized. And I suggested um, to someone in the audience who asked a question that you know they could analyze their emails to identify projects that were, um, you know, had some warning flags that were going sideways from uh, a perspective of scope or budget or personnel or, or had technology issues. And they could use that as a leading indicator of project issues um, and, and um, get those early warning signs faster than the traditional method of, you know, typing up a status report and then sending it up the chain and so forth. And so Lockheed Martin went and took this idea and they presented this at a Gartner event uh, a few years ago, where they shared how they're analyzing all sorts of project documentation, including emails to identify um, issues with, with projects. And they claim they have three times greater foresight and are, are saving hundreds of millions of dollars a year in cost overruns by, by using that, that method. So that's a great way of monetizing um, data. There's also a, a company called Vivint that makes uh, security systems and <clears throat> they um, use some of the valuation models that I published in Infonomics 
to identify opportunities to um, to drive more value from their data throughout the business. And they came up with some two dozen ways to better share data throughout the business, leading to um, a $300 million market value boost to the, to the business. Um, Walmart's a great example. Walmart um, realized that um, they had a great search engine um, for helping people find what they wanted online. But uh, one week there was a search term that was resulting in a really high degree of shopping cart abandonment. And that search term was the word house. And it was sending people to dog houses and doll houses and housing goods and, and so forth. And it wasn't at all what people were looking for. Turns out once they investigated it, that folks were looking for the uh, box DVD set or the uh, um, the ability to stream the uh, the medical drama house. Um, and um, so what they realized with their search engine wasn't taking into account social media, what was happening in the, what was trending in the world. And so once they upgraded the search engine to do so, they ended up um, re reducing shopping cart abandonment across the board by about 10 to 15%, which in Walmart terms is like, you know, an extra billion dollars a year of sales. Um, and then at West Monroe, we're working with, um, as I mentioned, hospitals and pharmas and, and uh, retailers to monetize their data. Nothing I can particularly talk about, but uh, in detail, but uh, one particular children's hospital, uh, we've identified uh, uh, nearly $100 million of um, uh, re annual recurring revenue from making their data or data products available externally. Um, there's a, a pharmaceutical a wholesaler that we've worked with um, to do so. Uh, um, a um, trying to think who else? Um, yeah, a, a, a manufacturer of of uh, major uh, um, agriculture equipment. So, yeah, uh, uh, pretty easy to identify hundreds of millions of dollars a year of, of additional revenue or um, monetization opportunity from these these clients. And we have a pretty well honed. Um, process for doing this that's kind of based on the infonomics work that I, that I published and um, we've continued to refine that uh, over, over the years. All right, so 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 lots yeah. to unpack in, in those stories yeah. and you know yeah. I, I wish we had more time to dive into each of them. Yeah, no worries. Uh, but you know I, I you know so I'm, I'm stuck on two things. Well one the first one is self-funding data warehouse, right or self-funding yeah. data in itself yeah. um, sounds amazing. Uh, feels like everybody should be doing it. But what are, I guess, what are some of the challenges that you see? And then, you know, my last question uh, after that is going to go into this latest bout of AI and, and you know, all the email analysis and all that fun stuff uh, that you yeah. just mentioned. I think there's, there's, it's even more powerful now. But, you know, right. first, before we get into that, what, you know, self-funding data warehouse, um, mm -hmm. the idea of monetizing your data in that manner it sounds easy, but what are some of the big challenges that you see organizations facing yeah. in doing that? I think initially when we talk about data monetization, um, people have in their head that it, it's only about selling data. But we've identified a dozen or so patterns for generating measurable economic benefits from available data assets. And that's our definition of data monetization. So it doesn't necessarily have to be sold to be monetized. Data doesn't require an exchange of cash. It, 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 it can even go beyond your own data. You can monetize data that you can harvest um, from the interwebs or other you know, sources. Um, you don't have to just monetize raw data. You can monetize aggregate data or analysis or reports. Um, you don't have to be in the data business to monetize data. Um, and um, another mental block is that uh, organizations believe that due to privacy regulations, they can't 
monetize their customer data. And that just shows a lack of creativity. So a lot of um, the, the roadblocks kind of lead to a, a lack of creativity, innovation, or broad thinking around the various ways to generate economic benefits from data. But then once you get into it, there are a lot of challenges as well, like um, you know, data monetization or creating data products is not a core business priority. Um, yeah, there are a lot of mental blocks due to data not being recognized as an asset. There are uh, perceived or even real legal, regulatory, or ethical roadblocks to using data in particular ways. Um, a lot of companies, particularly in retail, are already giving away data for free. And so you kind of have to think about where you're going to cut that off and start offering more premium data products or data exchange services. Um, a lot of companies have uh, data quality issues that really limit their ability to externalize that data. Um, maybe they just don't have a culture of research and development to come up with ideas to monetize their data. And, and most organizations really lack uh, organizational experience and skills to um, conceive, design, implement, sell, market, support data products. And so those are the things that we uh, you know, at West Monroe typically are helping our clients work through. So you're saying it's, it's not necessarily sort of technical challenges, uh, but a lot of change management that also comes into the picture when you're for working sure. with sure. I would say that the change management issues are 80% of the the issue techno, technical is maybe 20%, yeah. Makes sense. And so mm -hmm. finally, Doug, um, you know, generative AI, chat GPT, mm -hmm. uh, sure. you know, that's the latest trend right now. And, and you mentioned, right, pieces of this where I feel AI would be helpful from whether it's Lockheed Martin analyzing emails um, to potentially figure mm -hmm. out if a project's at risk or Walmart not being able to keep up right. with social media trends. Uh, that in theory sounds like it's easier now with some of these AI tools, but how are you seeing sort of the impact of AI and, and data monetization and, and treating data as an asset and how that yeah. intersection? Yeah, great, 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 uh, great question am I. Um, so I think um, the, the world of generative AI opens up a, a world of possibilities for better leveraging unstructured content like contracts and emails or customer support transcripts, even podcast transcripts, right? <laughs> In uh, particular, I, I think they're really ripe for monetization using generative AI. Um, data science has really been mostly focused on structured data, um, but I think generative AI opens up the possibilities of, of analyzing and, and leveraging and monetizing um, unstructured content, e even at some point images and, and videos as well. Um, and then, you know, we're also using uh, generative AI internally to help catalyze data monetization uh, ideation workshops. You know, we come into those now not with a blank slate, but with a, an understanding of the industry issues, the challenges, the trends, the types of data, uh, the opportunities to capitalize on data. So we've developed a set of, of, of prompts to help us um, prepare for those workshops and, and come and really hitting the, hitting the ground. Um, We've also partnered with an early stage uh, company um, called Gulp Data that has developed its own um, AI capabilities to determine the market value of a data set and, and even generate a list of potential buyers. So we're really excited about that partnership and, um, and uh, what, can that, what that can do for some of our, our clients. Um, but, but yeah, I think generative AI is gonna open up a whole new world of possibilities for leveraging um, types of content that um, are often very latent in organizations. Yeah, I mean, I'm 
Uh, I'm super excited. I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg, and and you know now it comes also down to that that creativity that you mentioned, right? How how mm-hmm. creative can we get with the tools that we have and and the data at our disposal? For sure. Right. Well, that's uh, all I have for today, Doug. Thank you so much uh, for joining us, and we hope to have you again soon. And I hope uh, a lot of people reach out to you for for Data Juice. I know I will be. Thank you. Out. Thanks, Amai. I really appreciate it. And, uh, Thanks again.